I would say the writer's closet just because it's something that I started. Um, I work with so many different wonderful organizations um, that are doing so many wonderful things from the Humane Society to the Equus Foundation to Animal Aid. I have so many wonderful organizations that have been kind enough to let me be involved in their efforts. But the writer's closet is something that I saw a need for and created. And that's something that I really try to drive home with people that, listen, if you say, I wish this existed and it doesn't, go out and create it. When most writers hear the name Georgina Bloomberg, they think of a successful international level writer who's been at the top of her sport for well over a decade now. But what they might not know is she's more than just a show jumper. She's a philanthropist and she's heavily involved in animal welfare causes. Thirteen years ago, she launched the Riders Closet, a nonprofit organization that accepts riding apparel donations from around the U.S and shares them free of charge with equine charities, scholastic riding programs, pony clubs, equestrian camp programs, and individual riders in need. The Riders Closet is always looking for donations, so check out georgianabloomberg.com for more information. Georgina is also an activist, a passionate animal welfare ambassador. She's on the board of directors for the United States Humane Society and was recently named Chair of Humane Generation New York, a chapter of the Humane Generation Philanthropy Program operated by the HSUS. The program seeks to cultivate the engagement of young leaders in New York and Los Angeles with humane work. Born and raised in New York City, that area has always been special to Georgina. And in fact, you've probably heard of her father, Michael Bloomberg, the former mayor of the city. But I want to get back to Georgina as a rider. She began her career, like many top show jumpers, in the hunter and equitation divisions, picking up numerous accolades throughout her junior years. She won Best Child Rider titles at just about all the major East Coast shows before focusing on show jumping in 2001. That year, she went on to win the USET Talent Derby and later two gold medals at the FEI North American Young Riders Championships, Team Gold in 2002 and Individual Gold in 2003. In 2004, Georgina won the coveted USCT Maxine Beard Award, which recognizes accomplishments by an up-and-coming show jumper. Since then, Georgina's been on fire, competing in multiple World Cup finals, including this year's final in Gothenburg, Sweden, representing the U.S. on Nations Cup teams and picking up top placings at Grand Prix classes all over the world. This past year, she had a successful trip to Europe as part of the Global Champions League. Now, she's back in the States on the U.S. circuit with her top string of horses. In fact, this weekend, she's competing in the popular American Gold Cup at Old Salem Farm in her home state of New York. This prestigious competition includes one of the 14 Longines FEI World Cup Jumping North American League qualifiers. Riders in the league earn points to qualify for next spring's World Cup Final in Las Vegas. This summer, also at Old Salem Farm, Ashton Flanagan, the VP of Communications for Straight Arrow, which you'll recognize as the makers of Mane and Tail products, conducted a guest interview with Georgina. During the interview, Georgina talks about her career, her charity work, her role models, training philosophies and competition strategies, how she handles disappointments in the sport, as well as what motivates her as a rider to get better each day. And now, let's get right to the interview. Ashen begins by asking Georgina how she got involved in the horse world as a young child. I started riding when I was four years old. Um, my mother had actually ridden in England when she was growing up, and my older sister had just started riding just sort of wanted to do everything that she did and follow in her footsteps. So I took a few lessons. Um, I was actually terrified 
and didn't want to continue with it, but I was too stubborn to quit, so I made myself stick with it. Um, and then I remember when I first started competing at age six was when I really fell in love with it. Uh, I remember my first competition was actually here at Old Salem Farm, where we are today, and I came in six out of six, um, and I hated the feeling of losing, and I realized that I wanted to go home and work hard at it and figure out how I could win, and I stuck with it, and um, when I won my first blue ribbon was actually a couple years later, again, here back at Old Salem, um, and I remember just being overjoyed by how you know, the, the feeling of being able to work hard at something at home and then go in front of a crowd and show it off and be rewarded for it, and then I was hooked. So what riders or coaches have influenced you or served as mentors besides your mom? Um, you know, my mother was the one that really gave me the, the love of horses, which I think is where it all begins. I think that pretty much every rider out there starts with a love of horses. That's where it sure. has to begin. Um, and then it develops into something, you know, obviously a bit more complex and deep. Um, but um, I've had a number of amazing trainers and role models. My first trainer was Robin Greenwood, um, who actually moved her business here to Old Salem, which is how I ended up riding here. Uh, but she was incredibly influential to me as a kid. She was very tough with her students um, and gave everybody the discipline that we needed as kids. Um, and I think really just gave me the foundation that sticks with me today. Um, but she was also like a mother to me. You know, she really gave a good balance of being hard and being strict and teaching kids discipline, but also making sure that we knew um, to enjoy the sport and that it was okay sometimes to, to go in there and not do your best and um, as long as you tried it was okay. So she was a great balance. Um, and my trainer that's currently with me, Jimmy Doyle, has been with me for 17 years. Um, he's you know so much more than a trainer. Um, he's really everything to me, not just in life, um, not, not just at the barn. He's, um, he's the all-around package and I've always said that if he wasn't around I wouldn't ride anymore and I, I genuinely mean that. Um, I rely on him incredibly, not only emotionally, but at the barn um, to guide me in my career and to guide me in my life. That's awesome. You've been surrounded with some really special people. Yeah. It's hard to find sometimes those trainers who teach the young ones to have that balance, that they're allowed yeah. to play a little bit or not always do their best because I think that's what keeps kids in and growing up into the sport. And perhaps if she hadn't been that way, it would have been a little more discouraging. I think that trainers need to hear that. Absolutely. You know, I'm so grateful that I had a trainer like her who wasn't in it just to make money, wasn't in it just to sell a kid more ponies and to see you do well that year and then, and then forget about you. Um, the lessons that she taught us um, were about so much more than just riding. They're about life. So how did you decide to focus on riding as your professional career? Um, I made that decision actually when I was 21 years old. Um, I had ridden in Europe for my first developing rider tour and it was my first time going to Europe to compete and seeing what the sport could be outside of America and um, it really opened my eyes to the possibilities in this sport. Um, I was offered my first, my first sponsorship from Heritage Gloves um, and I had to make the decision if I wanted to remain an amateur uh, or if I wanted to accept the sponsorship and go professional um, and both sort of happened in the same year and I really realized that um, this was something that I wanted to make a go at and to make my career. What is your overall training philosophy when you train? I think the biggest thing that I try to bring into my training is knowing that you might not accomplish everything you set out for in one day and that not everything is going to go well in one day. Um, you know, I think that there's so many factors with the horses and so many unknowns that sometimes you're going to have a day where you're a little off, sometimes you're going to have a day where your horse is a little off. It's very rare that you know you and the horse are on on the same day. You have to really appreciate the days that it all comes together and, and enjoy those days. Um, and there's some days with my horses that I get frustrated and I'm trying to make them do something or learn something and I just can't. And I think accepting defeat for that day 
is something that I really had to learn um, to deal with, and it, it's something that I think every rider really has to figure out. Um, you know, you try your best and you want to accomplish something, but there's going to be days where you're just not going to accomplish that, and sometimes it takes more courage just to say, I'll try again tomorrow. So do you have a favorite exercise or type of work that you think is important? And like why, and can you describe it? So we do a lot of rails on the ground and a lot of cavalettis. Um, you know, I've always said I was not born with natural talent. When I was a kid, I had a lot of trouble seeing distances and figuring it out, and it's taken me a long time to get to know each horse. Um, I was never gonna be a catch rider. I needed to form a relationship with each pony and each horse that I rode, and that sometimes took a number of years or months or weeks or whatever it was. I needed to really put the time into it. Um, I was never a natural. And I think that's helped me actually stick with it later in life because I've had to really figure out how to do it, um, not just rely on it coming naturally to me. So doing a lot of rails on the ground in Cavalettis helps me sort of stay in the groove. Um, you know, I don't have to take a month off and then try to find a distance to a jump. I try to keep doing it as much as possible so that it just comes as naturally as possible to me. So who were or are some of the most important horses in your life and career, and how were they influential? Um, I've been really lucky to have some incredible horses in my career. Um, you know, from the ponies to the junior hunters to the first jumpers that I had, um, I would say at each stage in my life, I can look at um, one pony or horse that really meant so much to me on a personal level, but also did so much for me um, for, for my career. Uh, and that's not always the one that I was most successful with. Um, you know, one of the best horses I ever had, his name was Action. Um, he was actually my first jumper. And, you know, he never had the scope to jump a Grand Prix. He was never going to be considered the best. Um, but at the time, he was perfect for me at that level. He won everything that he went into. He tried his heart out every single jump. Um, and he taught me to believe in myself as a jumper rider. I didn't start doing the jumpers until I was 18 after a successful junior career. and didn't have much confidence in myself as a jumper rider, and he changed all that for me. So he was incredibly important, even though he might never have won a Grand Prix. He was a horse that I look back on and say, that was really a turning point for me, and had I not had that horse, I don't know that I would have continued with this. What qualities make a good show jumping horse? I think the perfect balance of heart and brain. Um, a horse with too much heart can get itself in trouble and a horse with too much brain and not enough heart won't take on some of the challenges presented to them um, and might be a little bit fearful of some obstacles in front of them. So I think you really have to have a balance. Um, it's important that a horse knows when he should stop. Uh, not every horse should go down to everything that they come to or to every distance that the rider gives them. A really good horse will know that sometimes we make mistakes and they forgive you, but they will, they will put on the brakes. Um, but it's important that a horse has heart and wants to do the job and wants to try its best for you. So do you have a routine before competition? Like, do you ever get nervous? And <laughs> if so, how do you handle those nerves? Yeah, I have a little bit of a routine. Um, it's probably so routine for me now that I don't even consider it a routine, but there's definitely sort of a focus that I like to have. Um, you know, I really like to sort of stay at home the night before and, and focus on myself and getting a good night of sleep. Um, I work out a lot, so if I can get a workout in, in the morning, I love to do that. Um, and I also like to ride my horses before I compete. Um, I don't like to show up at the horse show and just get straight on the horse and go. Um, I really like to be sort of 
you know, feeling like I'm warmed up with the horse and the horse is going to be expecting me to get on when it's time to compete. Um, I like having a little bit of time to myself, so I'll sometimes bring a book or a magazine to the horse show so that I can sit and veg, and everybody at my barn knows sort of that I need my alone time and to sort of leave me alone before I compete and let me really mentally focus on the job at hand. I think that's really important. What you're saying is I think so many riders and people in all walks of life truly don't always give themselves that quiet time and that mm -hmm. self time to be able to focus on what's really important to them. I think that's awesome. Yeah. This is an unusual question, but are you superstitious? I am. Um, I am superstitious about little things. I always put on my right shoe and boot before my left. Um, even if it's a flip-flop um, and I'm not competing, I still have to put the right one on before the left one. It's just a, a bit of habit. Um, and I have a couple of little things that I've held on to. I would say they're more meaningful to me. I mean, I have little trinkets from my time as a young rider. Um, I have my badge that I wore on my jacket from my young rider days that I keep in my trunk. Um, and I have a little gold medal that my mother actually gave me right before the North American Young Rider Championships. Um, she handed it to me and she said that in her eyes I'd already won the gold medal. Um, and I actually wore it around my neck and I went on to actually win gold that year, um, which was one of my, my, my biggest goals and um, really a huge moment in my career. And so I keep that actually pinned into my right pocket whenever I jump in a Grand Prix. I love that. You mentioned the young riders. Is that something that's really important to you in the future of horses and young people? Can you share it with that? Yeah, absolutely. Young more? Riders was a huge turning point in my career. When Jimmy Doyle came to work for us in 2002, it was something that was incredibly important to him, and he really made me see the importance of it for developing me as a rider and as a stepping stone in my career. Um, it wasn't a competition that I was so familiar with, but I knew growing up some of the riders that competed in Young Riders and I knew Ralph Caristo, who was the head of the, the Zone 2 um, team and somebody who I'd always looked up to. And obviously that was for our area and something that I had always strived to, to be a part of. And Jimmy really drove home that that was something that if I want to make it in this sport, I need to take seriously and to, to really make a goal. So we decided that summer that competing at Young Riders would be our number one goal. And we worked harder than I've ever worked for anything in my entire life and every moment of that summer was dedicated towards making the team for the Young Rider Championships and going and, and going well and um, we made that our goal and we actually went and we won a team gold in 2002. Um, the following year he said we can beat that and do even better and we made individual our goal um, and I went back and won individual gold and that was something that um, I really credit for giving me the stepping stones that I needed to make my first developing rider tour in 2004 and then my first senior team in 2005 and giving me that leg up that I needed to understand the championship format, um, to get used to the pressure of a championship, team riding, it was all sort of something that I had never been able to experience and never really understood and without young riders I probably would not be competing at this level today. That's great. So what did you learn during that that brought you here now and perhaps like what keeps you mentally focused besides that quiet time and other things? Like what is it that keeps you mentally in the game? Um, you know, it's something that I've always taken very seriously. Uh, I think, you know, the mental side of any game and any, any sport is very difficult and um, for each person it's going to be different. And I think it's really up to you as an individual to figure out what it is that you need. I know there are some people who 
you know, they want to relax, so they want to be around people and be around friends. Um, and there's some people that need complete quiet time and to shut themselves off from the rest of the world. And it's up to you to figure out what you need to do, um, and then to go ahead and create that environment and not expect it to just fall into your lap. So for me, um, like I said, it's something that um, I actually ride better if I am a little bit nervous, if I'm very focused and really, you know, really sort of overthinking the, the job at hand, that's when I ride my best. Um, if I'm sort of too relaxed and not taking it seriously and focusing on other things, um, you can tell my riding. So it's up to me to really create that environment where I can just be 100% focused on what I'm supposed to do. How do you handle it when things don't go the way you expect? It's incredibly important in our sport to learn to deal with failure and losing and the bad days, the bad weeks, the bad months, the bad years. It's going to happen for everybody. Um, there isn't a top rider out there in the world that has not had more classes they've lost than they've won. Um, that's just part of the sport. Um, and you go through periods where you might have no luck, you might have injuries, you might have no horse that's able to compete the level you want to compete at. And I think that it really goes to show who the top riders are able to become when they can sort of go through the bad times and come back from that. Um, you know, no rider is always going to have a top horse. No rider is always going to be out there winning. Um, it takes a lot of hard work and it takes learning to deal with the bad days and learning how to bounce back from that. Um, I think there's a balance that you really have to figure out from learning from your mistakes but not getting discouraged. And I think that it's... It's something that I've had to learn where we video every round that I compete in. The bad ones, I make myself watch once, doesn't matter how cringeworthy it is, and then I delete it. Because that's part of learning, but then putting behind you. Um, the good rounds, of course, we keep so that I can be reminded of you know, what I should keep doing and um, be reminded of the good times and enjoy them. And if I win a class, I make sure that I celebrate and I give myself a pat on the back and I feel good about it because I know how quickly that can all disappear. Um, and how quickly that feeling can change because the next time you go in the ring, you're probably not going to win again. Is there a particular success or win that stands out to you as being special? You know, like I had said, the Young Rider Championships is something that meant so much to me. Um, it meant a lot back then when I, when I won and it means probably just as much now today when I've seen what it's done for me and my career and how meaningful it is to be on that list of team gold winners and individual gold winners. Um, it was a championship that taught me so much and gave me so many tools that I would need to be able to make it in the sport. Um, but it was also something that had been such a huge goal for me um, and means so much to know that I can set a goal and then work as hard as I possibly can and that sometimes it doesn't pay off, but sometimes it does and it makes it all worth it. So how do you juggle riding and being a mom? Juggling everything is difficult sometimes. Um, you know, obviously you're sometimes going to feel like you're not doing either correctly or as, as well as you would like to be doing. Um, but that's something that, you know, I've really sort of had to put behind me and to get over and to say, listen, I'm going to do the best I possibly can. And sometimes that's just, just, you know, all you can do. And there are times where I feel like I'm not riding enough and I'm not as present at the barn as I would like to be. Um, and there's times where I'm missing things in my son's life and not around as much as I would like to be. Um, but I know that I'm doing my best and I also know that my son is incredibly proud of me when he sees me riding and the things that I accomplish. Um, and I'm doing my best with both and it's just important to learn to sort of compartmentalize everything and when I come to the barn now I have less time to be there so I try to really focus even more on it and tune everything else out and just focus just on the horses and the riding and my job for the next couple of hours 
And then when I go home from the barn, I have to do the exact same. I have to put the horse behind me and I have to focus on my son and make my job 100% just being a mother and focus on that. And that's obviously easier said than done. There's times where you know they'll overlap a little bit and I'll have to sort of shift that focus. But as much as I possibly can, I try to really focus on what I'm supposed to be doing right at that moment and really also enjoy the moments. You know, when I'm at the barn, I enjoy those moments so much more than I ever did because I know that the time that I get to spend there is a little bit less. So can you tell me a little bit about why you started your charity, The Writer's Closet? So I started The Writer's Closet in 2006. Um, I had actually started at NYU and met a girl who was saying how much she loved horses and how much she had ridden as a kid. Uh, and I asked her if she was going to join the equestrian team um, at the university. And she said that she would have loved to, but she couldn't afford the riding clothing and equipment. Um, and I remember sort of hearing that and piecing it together with something that had happened to me a year or two prior, where I had been at a house that my father had owned growing up, where I was cleaning out a closet and had a lot of riding clothing that I had outgrown. And as the youngest in my family, a lot of it had just simply been worn a couple of times before I'd outgrown it, but it was in very good condition. And I had a whole closet of it and didn't know what to do with the items. And I started thinking that I had a lot of friends who had gone off to college and quit riding, and they must have the same problem too. And I thought about what my friend at college had said and how I could piece the two things together. So I actually met with a couple of friends who were involved in um, the intercollegiate horse shows and had them make a few introductions and introduce me to a few people and get the word out to a few different college teams that I was going to start collecting items. Um, and then I did the same in the, in the horse show world into some of my friends and some of the local barns and started receiving items, started getting requests and started shipping out as many items as I possibly could. Um, we were actually based in my mother's garage. Um, I received all the packages myself, packed everything out myself for the first couple of years. Um, and then I started getting more requests from people who said, we're not part of equestrian teams, we're not part of a university, but we're individuals who love to ride, can't afford the riding equipment, can you help? Um, and so it started, started to grow and I decided that I was no longer gonna focus just on the intercollegiate riding. I wanted to be able to include everybody. Um, so as, as the word got out and we started to grow, I realized that I really needed to sort of lose control a little bit of it and let it grow and help the amount of people that I had you know, originally set out to help. So we were actually decided to move over to Pegasus Therapeutic Riding um, and had a couple of amazing employees and volunteers over there who did so much for me and just took over the program and were able to pack all the boxes and unpack everything, keep everything organized and help, you know, hundreds more people than I ever would have been able to help to help had I decided to keep control of it and uh, keep everything in our, in our garage. Um, so it was able to grow and we actually just recently moved it back and now a wonderful woman named Christine Fitzgerald is managing it for us and doing everything. We have a couple of wonderful volunteers um, who come over and help us with all the clothing and we've been able to help thousands of people a year. So can you tell me a little bit about your involvement with the Humane Society? Mm -hmm. So I actually got involved with the Humane Society um, about 11 years ago through their Stop Popping Balls campaign. Um, I got involved with a committee that was originally called Friends of Finn, and now it's called Humane Generation. Um, and we started sort of campaigning against puppy mills and learning all the facts, trying to lobby against puppy mills and change the conditions that the dogs are kept in. Um, you know, I started getting involved in dog rescue in 2008 after I adopted my first dog, and I realized that, you know, I can adopt 
as many dogs as I possibly can, but there's a huge chain of why the dogs end up in the pounds in the first place. It's important to understand. It's important to understand why certain people don't spay and neuter. It's important to understand puppy mills and how all these wonderful dogs are ending up in the pound in the first place. Um, so that was just sort of another link in the chain that I really wanted to be able to focus on. Um, and my work with Humane Society enabled me to do that. Um, and then I actually, um, about a year and a half ago, became a board member and also took over the puppy mill campaign now called Humane Generation and have a wonderful group of really passionate young animal activists who uh, are really set on changing the world underneath me. I love that. Which of your philanthropic endeavors are you most proud of? I would say the Riders Closet, just because it's something that I started. Um, I work with so many different wonderful organizations um, that are doing so many wonderful things, from the Humane Society to the Equus Foundation to Animal Aid. I have so many wonderful organizations that have been kind enough to let me be involved in their efforts. But the Riders Closet is something that I saw a need for and created. And that's something that I really try to drive home with people. But listen, if you say, I wish this existed, and it doesn't, go out and create it. That's awesome. And that's my next question is, what would you say to someone who wants to get involved? Because I've seen all your philanthropic work. I've seen a lot of the charities you're working with, and it's so encouraging, and um, it's something to strive for. And so some people are sitting back and going, but how do I get involved, and what do I do? So what would you say to somebody who just doesn't know how to get started? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's funny, I think one of the um, things I love most is when somebody comes to me and says, we love what you do, how can we get involved? Um, just by asking me that makes me feel like I am doing something worthy and that I've sort of spread the message that I'm doing something good and that other people can as well. So uh, that's always sort of one of my favorite questions. And I think for whatever your cause is, there's obviously different ways. I think many people rush to assume that philanthropy means writing a check, uh, and that couldn't be farther from the truth. Uh, I mean, there are wonderful dog rescues where you can go and volunteer for half an hour to walk a dog, and that makes all the difference to that dog. Uh, there's so many different things that people can do that won't cost a dime. And I always say, you know, it, it's, it's up to you to figure out what your cause is and then go out and help it. Um, but writing a check is such a small part of philanthropy. Being hands-on and picking an organization and figuring out how you can add something to their organization and to, to help them um, is up to each person. But, um, you know, especially with... with so many of the issues with animals, just getting the word out is such a big part. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, just educating people about, you know, why not to buy a dog or, you know, that there is still horse slaughter that exists in the world, that there's all these issues that people need to learn about, um, that, you know, so much of, of that can just be about spreading the word and educating the others. That's great. I really appreciate you taking time with us today, and you're such an inspiration to so many, and I just loved having this chance with you. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Practical Horsemen's podcast. I really appreciate your feedback, so if you have time, please rate and review the show. And join us again in two weeks. Upcoming conversations are with eventing legend Jim Wofford, as well as hunter trainer Sandy Farrell and top groom Leave Good. You can subscribe to our podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Thanks again for listening.